Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got a good show for you today, folks. We're going to talk a little bit today about what happens when you are chosen. I use those words carefully. What do I mean by chosen? I mean chosen by something not of this world. You're going around one day, you're, you're just going about your life. It's an ordinary day. Maybe you're at school. Maybe you're doing your job. Maybe you're just going about what you think is your average ordinary life and you see it. Lights in the sky. A craft lands in front of you. And you're chosen. You're chosen maybe to just have that experience, to see those lights, to see that craft. Maybe you're physically altered in one way or another. You're burned. You come up with some sort of disease. Your body's been infiltrated. Maybe your mind's been altered. Maybe you've been downloaded. Maybe you've had some sort of information thrown into it. And maybe you've come across more information that's been healthy for you. And I'll explain what that means with our guest, Cheryl Lynn Carter. Cheryl Lynn Carter is the author of the book Chosen, which we're going to talk about today. She's gone deeper into some very, very famous cases than most people and most authors have dared go. In fact, some of the information about these famous cases will blow you away. I'm telling you, I, I read this book this week, folks, and I was astounded by some of the information that she put into this book. And we're going to talk about some of that information and some of the stuff that I'm still kind of reeling from. I'm really, really excited to talk to Cheryl today. Let me tell you a little bit about Cheryl before we get moving here. Cheryl Lynn Carter is an author, freelance journalist, researcher, explorer, and experiencer herself. As an explorer of ufology, Cheryl is an experiencer, member of MUFON and CE5. She served as a consultant for Thomas Conwell's book, They Are Here, Central U.S. UFOs and Earthquake and UFOs. Oh, by the way, she's also a very good author herself, not only an author and co-author. She's an international author of nine books, including Dimensions, Mysterious Triangles of the U.S., the book we're talking about today, Chosen, and co-author of Digging into Skinwalker Ranch and Skinwalker Ranch, The Basin Files. She's a freelance journalist with her column, The Carter Files, Mysteries of the Unknown, in Paranormal Underground Magazine, and in addition, writing for Chicago Hauntings, iHeart Magazine, and Mind, Body, Spirit Magazine. And Cheryl has a role in the film Rosa Lee, winner of Best Horror Film at the 2019 Las Vegas International Film Festival. Let's welcome in to Darkness Radio again, because she's been here previously, Cheryl Lynn Carter. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing? I'm good. Happy to be back here. Very happy to have you here. And again, I'll say it publicly, my apologies for not having you back sooner. <laughs> I, I, It's a thousand apologies. I'm sorry that That's we haven't had you back quite sooner. All right. <laughs> but we, uh, we hope to make it back in spades today uh, with this book chosen. First of all, let's, let's, uh, let's get the... the um, I'm trying to look for the words here, Cheryl. I'm sorry. My, my mind is, is, is going in 18 different directions here. Let's get the, the whole meaning behind why you wanted to write about these five famous cases. Why dig into them deeper? Because they are one of those, they, these cases have been looked at and kind of re-examined 
over and over and over again. Why dive deeper into them? What is it about these cases that you felt were not mined further or needed to be mined further? Well, everybody, like you said, everybody knows all about these these stories, and, and they think, okay, that was, yeah, that, that happened. I guess that's cool, and life goes on as usual, but life doesn't go on as usual because these events change somebody's life, and they're, they're never the same person the next day. They're, their whole future has been altered after this happened, and I, I wanted people to know that, and I wanted to go into their hypnotic regressions so that you could really see what happened to them. And, and there's a whole lot more than the story that you read about. Very much so. Um, and, and you bring that up, and that's kind of what has me reeling, uh, like I, I just pointed out just a few moments ago, is the hypnotic regressions. A lot of times things happen to us, and, and we talk trauma. And we don't think we experience trauma at the time that an overwhelming event mm -hmm. happens. We think Woo, I handled that well. And then we move on. And we don't realize that sometimes an overwhelming event has really scarred us. We think that's what, that's what these people felt. They said, all right, I'm fine. But then they just realized that they can't sleep at night. And they don't, they don't know why they can't sleep at night. And they don't know what they're dreaming. But something's bothering them. And so they seek out a hypnotist to try to see what, why can't I sleep at night? And they're not even relating their sleep pattern to something that happened to them. Yeah. Or, or they, in some cases, they, they feel like they're going to jump out of their skin or they, they feel like I don't feel right. Or there's physical effects. Like, you know, I'm physically not well, this thing mm -hmm. changed me physically. What is it about these otherworldly visitors that we can't handle? Because I think in society, we've told ourselves, oh, yeah, you know what? If one of these things showed up on my doorstep, I'd be fine. <laughs> well, I, I don't want one showing up on my doorstep after I have researched all this. No, because <laughs> I mean, it's, there's 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 evidence that um, these non-human intelligence are, are aware of our very thoughts, sometimes before we even have them. And they're capable of actually inducing thoughts into our mind, making them believe, making us believe that they're our own thoughts. And then they're also capable of suppressing thoughts. That's why we have these gaps that we don't remember, and they have to have the regression to bring them out. I, that's just creepy. The, 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 that's scary, the fact that they're capable of knowing my thoughts before I have them, because... I mean, first of all, I, I got to be honest with you, Cheryl. I'm just being honest with you. If one of these shows up in front of me, I'm probably having the exact same reaction that most people are having. And that is, I'm going to be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. let's, let's face it. Some people be like, oh, I'd take out my gun and shoot. Or I'd, I'd stand right up there. I'd, I'd man up. I'd be right in their face. You're not going to do that. No one's going to do that. They're going to freeze. They're going to, but, and I don't think that they would allow you to do it because I, I don't think that they're here to harm us. You don't think so? No, no. You know, I think we might differ on schools of thought here. I, so. I, I do think there are pro there's probably a small, much like there's good and bad in every person, good and bad well, in every right, situation. Right, like there's different people, different races and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, there could be these. 
things are coming from different places. They're not coming from the same planet, I don't believe. Right, right. And I I think there's probably there's probably some of these things out there that don't have good intentions. Well, it could be, yeah. yeah. And I think there's probably one example that I can think of in the book where somebody got that feeling like this thing doesn't like me. It, I don't think it has, it has good intentions for me. Um, yeah. do, you, do you remember the, the, the yeah, one I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. 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 Um, but, but it's, it's, to me, it just seems like, Even if it has good intentions or you feel safe or you don't feel safe, like you said, even if you want to go make some sort of a move towards it, it may stop you. Mm-hmm. There's a story out this week uh, that a whistleblower came out and said the U.S. government has video that, uh, and it's video from 1964, three years than we previously know of from 1967 of a craft disabling a nuclear weapon from a silo, and I believe it's in North Dakota. So I remember it, that, yeah. Now, we've heard the stories, but this is actual video. And, and, oh, okay. And it's physical video that exists that can be watched. The fact that this video exists, and we may be able to see it, is absolutely frightening because if you think of it at that time in 1964 we're in the middle of an arms race with the soviets Mm -hmm. it brings to mind or brings to question did these creatures i shouldn't say creatures these aliens whatever you want to call them uh did they actually go do this to the soviets as well or were we picked on because maybe we were the only ones who were building up arms at the time yeah, because there's so many stories where where they're around places where there are missiles and nuclear plants. It's like, are they trying to warn us to you know be careful what you're doing? I think that's very interesting why we are around these special places. Now, I and I have to ask you as 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 an author who's writing about Rendlesham Forest, who's writing about Mario Woods, who's writing about military installations and and writing about aliens and UFOs interacting with with the military do you think first of all and I'll ask this question right off the bat do you think that we still have aliens interacting with our military today are they do you think they're still trying to disarm us today or disarm other countries today. I still think they're interacting with the military. Do and the th- military's interacting with them knowingly. They're just not going to let us know. Do you think that... Do you think that there's still the act of trying to disarm us? at that? And, and if so, why? Why do you think that they would be trying to disarm us? Or have we learned or started to learn that lesson in that we we have this de-escalated. That's what I think, that something happened where they came from, where they destroyed something and they don't want that to happen to Earth. Expound a little bit on that. What do you think happened in their world? Well, maybe they had all these kind of weapons like we did, Mm -hmm. and there was some kind of war. Okay. they, They could have destroyed their planet or who knows what. And, and they don't want that to happen to us because they can see, you know, Russia's got these weapons. We have these weapons. 
they're going to start shooting at each other and, and blow up the earth. And I think they're trying to warn us, be careful. Wouldn't it be easier, and, and I'll throw this out there too, wouldn't it be easier just to land on the lawn of the White House, have a press conference <laughs> with the president, I know, I know. <laughs> and put it out there in front of a camera and just warn us that, hey, you're going to do the same thing that we did to our world and, and do it in a civil way instead of just coming by and taking it away from us like you would take a toy away I from know, a child? I know, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bizarre. Um, let's, let's, let's give a few examples here because there's, you, you deal with five different cases in this book, mm-hmm. which they're all very, very compelling cases as to why these beings are so strange and why they do things in the way they do. Let's let's take the first one, for example, which can be incredibly traumatic for future generations. And we'll talk about aerial school. Tell us a little bit about aerial school and why it's so traumatic to children. Well, this happened in 1994 in Zimbabwe. And that, that's why this is so unique, because there were children that, that went out at lunchtime in the, the schoolyard. And all of a sudden, they saw some kind of craft land in the field behind them. Now, you're in the middle of nowhere, out in the jungle. And they ran over to see what was going on, and they saw three figures come out of the ship. They're about three feet tall. They have real narrow face and large olive oval-shaped eyes. And they says, well, what is that? You know, And all of a sudden, it was like these entities were speaking to them telepathically. Mm-hmm. And it was they were showing him thing, things that, that children don't understand because these children, the, the oldest was, was 12 years old. They, they were showing him that people, people um, where, where the earth was, was all blown up, where all the trees were gone, looks like they were all burned. There was so much destruction and what was this for a child to understand? What is this supposed to mean? That's why I was saying, are they trying to warn us? Yeah. So they were showing these children that, and they ran back in the school, and they're telling the teachers, and the teachers went out, and they didn't see anything. They go, now you're making it up. Okay, so now your teachers didn't believe you. Then you go home, tell your mother and father. They don't believe you. What? How do you process this when you're a child, and you know this happened? So uh, BBC correspondent Tim Leach who was head of uh, for the Foreign Correspondents Association, heard about this, so he went there and he wanted to do a story. And Cynthia Hine was the, the MUFON leader in the area there, and so she came. And they went over there, and they, they started, before they went there, they told the headmaster, um, could you have the children draw us what they saw? Separate them so nobody's copying the same picture. So they did. And you saw, you saw the drawings in the book that was just... Amazing yeah. what, what the children saw. Yeah. And there's, how could they have made it up? And so they had a, um, a photographer with them, Gunther Hoffer, and he went out with two of the boys because they said, well, we saw a ship the day before. What? It happened two days? So they went out there, and he actually found wedges in the tall grass that were 30 feet long where something had landed. And with that, when they start asking the children about what it is they saw, you get all these different reactions from these kids. Everything from, 
wonderment and and what it was that these these things had to say and the messages to sheer terror and yeah. crying and hysteria and not wanting to go back to the school and it wasn't just from the children you had one woman who lived on site that didn't want to go back to the school yeah because she you know after she saw this she actually did believe them and and some of the children who were who were that lived there they thought it was um this evil goblin that comes in the night and steals your soul they didn't think it was an alien but the other kids thought it was alien but some some of the the kids the the parents took them out of school and they moved back to Canada where they came from. Yeah, and to think that it was something from lore and not not an actual alien or visitor from another planet that had to have just just messed with the children even more. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, you know that they were afraid to go to bed at night now because this thing was going to come get me. Right. And so that, you know, like, like I said, over, over the years, you know, I've, I've seen interviews with some of them are actually talking about it now as they're all grown up and they're still traumatized. And they said, my, my life was terrible. And there, there's one girl, her name is uh, Emily Trim. And she actually went on, on tour with, with Tim Leach and they did a documentary and she, her, her way to deal with this was she would do paintings of what she saw. Mm-hmm. And, one of the paintings was a, a little girl with pigtails because she had pigtails and the little girl had a zipper on her mouth because she was afraid to talk about it. Oh, wow. And I searched everywhere because I had to find this photo for my book and yeah. I found it. Oh, my and God. now that she's speaking, she says, I, I feel so much better now. And she says, now the little girl with the zipper on her mouth is no longer afraid to speak. Wow. No, see, yeah, that was... Here's the, here's here's what I don't get sometimes, Cheryl, and that's this. Sometimes talk therapy can help people get out of that space of, of trauma. And other times, it's like continually ripping the scab off a wound. Right. You can't get past that traumatic event because all you're doing is reliving it. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're stuck in Groundhog Day. You just keep reliving right. and reliving and reliving. Sometimes you have to... Put that event away and move forward, and you, you just need to let the the scab scar over and mm-hmm. and move on. When it comes to these type of events, do you find that acknowledgement is best? Is the best type of healing to be to be not just acknowledged, but to be told you're not crazy, you're not, you know, what you've seen is real you're valid and validated or do you think it's just being able to move on and live a normal life and have normalcy is the best way which do you find is better for most people well see the the adults were able to do something like that but the children the whole time no one believed them you know so they they couldn't just say i'm going to move on because what just happened and, and, and am I crazy? Because nobody seems to think that that really happened. So that, that was different for them. Well, the it, adults, I, I think they can get on with it and move on, but it was hard for the children. I think it had to be doubly tough for the children because as it is, especially in that, that time frame, children were to be seen and not heard. 
And, and you're in and you're in Zimbabwe. You're not in the United States here. You know. Yeah. You were isolated. Yeah. And you know, as it is, well, you know, children have an imagination. I'm sure the parents are thinking, "Oh, it's just your imagination." Just, that's what they heard a lot of. Yeah. 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 Just you know, just that's a nice story, dear. Now it's it's time to come back to the real world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of those kids didn't get a chance to talk it out and get it out and be validated. And, and as you said, until they were adults. Or even then, even maybe some of them haven't. Maybe they're, they're still Yeah, we don't know because I've only heard a few of them speak about it. Yeah, which is incredibly sad. Incredibly sad. Uh, another one of the cases you... Tackle is Falcon Lake. Tell us a little bit about Falcon Lake. Now, this one I had never heard about before, so this was interesting. This happened in 1967 in Manitoba, Canada. Um, Stephen Mikulak, um used to be an officer in the Polish Underground Army during the resistance movement. And he worked undercover with the U.S., and they had to snuggle him out of there, so they, they got him up into Canada, so that's how he got to the United States. So one of the things he liked to do in his spare time was like to go prospecting. Okay. So he would go to the Whiteshell Provincial Heart Park, and he had a little claim there. And he went there one afternoon, and he was chopping away, and all of a sudden he heard these geese behind him just making all this noise. And he looked, what's the matter? And then they stopped and he starts chopping away again and they're making sound again. And he looked and all of a sudden he looked and there were two crafts up in the sky, saucer shape. And he's watching and one of them kind of flew away and the other one landed on an outcropping by him. He goes, well, must be some U.S. secret military craft that they're testing. Didn't think anything of it. So he sat back and he, he's eating his lunch and he's watching it and he's drawing pictures of what it looked like. And he said, maybe, maybe they need help. So he went over to the craft and a door slid open. And he looked inside and he sees all these flashing lights and he could hear like a motor reeling or something. And he thought he heard two voices and he stuck his head off and he goes, hey, Yankees, you need some help? And nobody answered. So then he starts talking in German and French and Polish and he was all kinds of language and nobody's answering him. And he goes, all right. So then all of a sudden the, the door slid closed again and the crafts kind of tilt a little to the side. And I don't know if it was like an exhaust part of the craft and all of a sudden, all this, this hot air came out, and it hit him in the chest, and it caught his shirt on fire and his hat. So he pulls his hat off, and he, he pulls the, the top shirt off, and he throws it on the ground, and he's stomping on it so it didn't, you know, catch, on, catch all the, the, broke, the forest there on fire. And all of a sudden, he's just sitting there, and he's just not feeling good, and then, and then this, this craft just took off. So you know, I I I gotta get help. I don't I don't feel good. He's he's dizzy. He starts throwing up, and he, I don't know what's wrong. So he starts walking back to the highway, and he saw the constable, and he says, "I I can, can you take me to town? I, I need to see a doctor." And and 
He was kind of slurring his speech, and the constable thought that the guy's drunk. He's not paying attention to him, and goes, what do what, what you got in that briefcase there? Well, it was just his prospecting tools and his notebook. Mm-hmm. No, no, don't. You, no, get back, get back. He wouldn't let him get close, so now he's thinking there's something wrong with this guy, but he was afraid that he had radioactive poisoning now from whatever this was, and he just didn't want to get close to people, but he didn't want to tell him what he saw. So the constable just ignored him. So he kept walking. He got back to his hotel, and he says, is there, is there a doctor? I need to see a doctor. And she says, well, it's not the summer season yet. The doctor won't be back till next month. And he goes, okay. So he called his son, and he said, I need you to meet me at the bus station. I, I need to come home. Something happened. That's all he said. So they get back home. As soon as his son saw him, he, they, they rush him to the hospital. And they take off his shirt, and right on his chest was a grid pattern, just oh. like the exhaust grid. It was burned right on his chest. Yikes. It was burned on his shirt. And they, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. They said, you got radiation poisoning, but they didn't, they didn't know what it was. Did, didn't he have some sort of aroma of sulfur coming out of his lungs yeah, as well? Yeah, it was just coming out of his body, yeah. Oh, yikes. And so they had the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. They had the um, Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization come, Condom Committee. They were, they were all investigating this because they, they believed that he saw a UFO. So they, the, the first time they, they tried to take him to the place, he, he still wasn't feeling right, still wasn't feeling right. So he drew them a map, and they, they went out trying to look, and they had the helicopter, and they were trying to look, and they couldn't figure it out. So finally, when he felt better, they, they took him out there, and he took him to the spot. And they did do some some readings, and they they're finding that there was high, high radi- readings of uh, radium. Wow was 3.66 which was very dangerous yeah and they they did find a piece of strange twisted metal in the rock not sure what that was from but not anything natural that would have been out there in the in the wild no no and and all the yeah and all the all the brush around that area the vegetation never grew back wow just in that spot and so he just went home, went back to his job, and he, he wrote this little book that I, I was so lucky. Canada's so nice. You got, they got such a nice archive of things. And he wrote a little 39-page book, and he calls My Encounter with the UFO. And he would pass it out to his friends. He didn't even sell this book. He was passing it out to his friends. Really? So I, I managed to get it. And just all these reporters were always in their front yard, you know, with the flash bulbs. You know, you see flash bulbs laying all over their yard. They're, Try to find out what's going on and go, what what happened? What happened? And he goes, I don't know. You tell me. So he still wasn't convinced what it was. Weird. And, and so he, but, he, he really, even though he had what had to have been an extraterrestrial experience, he wasn't yeah. completely, completely yeah. Uh, yeah, convinced. Goes, I, I'm not sure what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. All right. All he, right. He, he still he still thought it was some secret U.S. military. 
I can see why he'd want to rationalize it. I get, I get it. Yeah, because he's military. So yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, Cheryl. Let's take our break right here. When we come okay. back, we'll talk about uh, a couple of more famous cases that are out there. We'll talk about Pascagoula. We'll talk about uh, Rendlesham Forest, and we'll talk about some interesting facts and some conjecture about what it was they saw in Rendlesham Forest, something that absolutely blew my mind, but we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to spoil it. blew my mind too. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to spoil anything necessarily, but, but we're going to get into some theory here, Cheryl, um, some theory that I just can't believe. I, I don't know. I, I, because I'd like to think that as a people, we're going to advance and we have advanced far further than than what what was said at Rendlesham. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll expound on that when we come back. The book is chosen. It's an excellent book. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl has put together quite quite a book here and folks we have a link to it in the description of this program chosen is the name of the book Sherilyn carter is the author and she is our guest here uh today on darkness radio get that copy of the book as we're in our break when we come back pascagoula rendlesham forest we'll talk about what was there and what we found out more about those two locations when we come back right here on the best in paranormal programming this is darkness radio Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. We're talking about what happens when you are chosen. Chosen is the name of the new book by Sherilyn Carter, who is our guest today on Darkness Radio. We're talking about run-ins with extraterrestrials. Not just run-ins, but some of the more famous cases of run-ins with extraterrestrials. And what Cheryl Lynn has done with these cases, she's gone more in-depth with these cases than most, most researchers have ever done with these cases and come up with some amazing information on these cases and has come up with some information that, that just may turn you on your ear with, with a lot of these cases. Before we went to break, Cheryl, we were talking about uh, some of the more famous cases where we're about to talk about some of the more famous cases. Let's talk about Pascagoula. Tell people a little bit about this case. And uh, this one is particularly interesting um, because of the shock value it had mm-hmm. on these two particular men. This was in 1973 in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, two guys, Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker, worked at the uh, F.B. Walker shipyard. They built ships. And so one night after they got done work, Charlie says, Kelvin, you want to go fishing? He says, oh, I, when I moved here, I, I am bringing my gear with me. He goes, I'll loan you some. He, he thought that was pretty cool because you fishermen don't usually load their gear to somebody else. Yeah. He says, 
well, I'll, I'll take you to this, this really good spot where, where there's really good catch. And he goes, that's where the, the ships on low grain and it, it spills into the water sometime. And the fish come there to eat it. He goes, it's, it's really, really a good spot. Okay. Okay. He goes, but, but first of all, I want to take you to this other place first. And it was the, um, shop or fish yard or shipyard. That was a, an old shipyard that was abandoned now. And so they pull up there and we get out and Calvin says, wait, wait, there's a, a posted sign that says, you know, do not trespass. He goes, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want the cops. He goes, no, it's okay. I come here all the time. So they, they go through all the, the tall grass, get down on the, the pier. And they're right on the bank of the East Pascola River. The toll bridge for Highway 90 was right above them. They set, set their lines out. They're trying to fish. Weren't getting a whole lot. Weren't getting just small fish. Weren't getting a whole lot. Calvin goes, you think maybe we should go to that other spot you were telling us about? Maybe, maybe it'd be better. And Charlie didn't want to look bad and say, you know, say there's nothing here. He goes, no, let's, let's just wait a little while. I, I feel like something's going to happen. Well, all of a sudden, Calvin saw a, a blue reflection in the water. Charlie, I told you, I told you, there's the cops. Now we're, now we're in trouble. Now we're going to jail. And they both turned around and it wasn't the cops. There was this huge craft, 30 feet long, hovering over the water. Mm. Charlie said, you didn't know what to do. I wanted to run, but where the heck am I going to run? Yeah. So we just stood there frozen. And then these two strange creatures came out. And I've, I've never heard of creatures like this. Five feet tall. And their, their head was like connected right to their shoulders. There was no neck. There was a point where the nose should be and two other points on the side of the head, like where the ears were. And they had no eyes. No eyes. Ugh. So somehow they floated down to them. And they grabbed a hold of them each one by the arm, and they just floated them back up into the craft. And that's where they were examined. And then when they were done with them, they just floated them back down to the bank of the river. So now they're freaking out. Charlie, what do we do? What do we do? Kelvin's going. He says, well, first of all, we, we can't tell anybody about this. Okay, well, let, let's, let's, let's go home. Let's go home. So they start driving home, and then, and then Charlie says, you know, we, we really do need to, to tell the sheriff. we got to tell the sheriff. So they stopped and found a payphone, and he called him, and he says, oh, yes, uh, flying saucer. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, C come on down. We could talk about it. He didn't believe him. So they get him <clears throat> down into the room, and they're talking to him. First separately, then they put them together, and then, then they thought, well, I'm just going to leave them guys in the room and let them talk and they had, they had a recorder going. At that time, it was legal to, to record people's conversations. Mm -hmm. And they start saying the same story. What are we going to do? And, and Calvin just kept saying, Charlie, they didn't have any eyes. They just, it's so scary. They didn't have any eyes. How could they see us? And so they said, well, okay, well, we're, we're going to go now. So they just went back to work the next day as usual. But of course, that didn't happen because all of a sudden there were reporters there. Somebody at the sheriff's office let the word out. 
So their boss is really mad. You know, we, we, we can't do business here like this. And Charlie goes, I didn't do it. I don't, I don't know who does. I'd be the sheriff. So then they got the company lawyer and he's, and he says, well, I'm going to take you down to the sheriff's office. We'll, we'll go together. So, okay. So they went there. Well, then Charlie found out that this lawyer was just trying to look for some publicity. So he, he fired him right away. He goes, I, I don't need that. So then the, the sheriff's office decided they're going to take him to Kessler Airfield to have him examined to see if they were okay. Mm-hmm. So they get down there and they, all these guys in the white coats were examining them. And then there were these guys in dark suits. Were they men in black that were questioning them? And then they says, okay, now we need you to, we need you to sign this paper about everything that went on here today. And Charlie looked at it and he goes, but it's a blank piece of paper. We'll just sign it. And then we'll, we'll send you the rest of the report later, which they never did. So what they signed, they, they don't know what they signed. So then later, um, Dr. J. Allen Hynek did a hypnotic regression on the both of them. And that's when they, they talked about everything they had. And the, the thing that Calvin was just so upset about, he says, I felt like my soul was leaving my body. That's what is so disturbing. He describes dying. Yes. And the creature, I use that term, I don't use They called it a creature. They called it a creature. They called it a creature. They did. But was it Charlie or was it Calvin that said it was a woman? Calvin also saw a woman standing there too. Okay. In the craft. She was in the craft. Okay. Now, did Calvin, was it Calvin who said he had seen the woman before? Yeah. During the hypnotic regression. And and he says, yeah, I've seen her before. And the the hypnotist says, you've seen her before. Yeah. When I was a child, we would all go fishing together, you know, Charlie and my father and us kids. And I went over to buy some trees to, to go to the bathroom. And there was this blonde woman there. And she wanted me to come over and talk to her, but I got scared and I ran away. So yeah, so did was he abducted once before? Is you know is this the reason that it came back because Calvin was there? It sounds like he's the catalyst. You know, yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Charlie—it's Charlie who leaves his body, right? Yeah, it's Charlie who essentially describes dying and it's Charlie's soul or his light that repels these creatures. Is that an accurate way of putting it? Could be, yeah, could be, yeah. Which, as, as I interpret it, Cheryl, this is the only way I interpret it, and you tell me if I'm wrong. It's almost like the purity of his soul drove these things away. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? This one, yeah, because it just felt like they, they were creatures. They didn't call them entities. They were called creatures. <laughs> right. It sounds like these things had ill intent or weren't on the light side of things. They were on the dark yeah, side of things. Right. And it it took Charlie nearly expiring and for him to expose the pureness of his soul to drive these things away. Right. Because out of pictures that, you know, that we've seen about aliens, 
I don't know what these were with these points on their face instead of eyes. And That is terrifying. They, they looked terrifying when I looked at the picture. I said, I would not want to encounter that. I can't imagine. And and no 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 one who who has a typical visitation experience or even an abduction experience cites their abductors as looking like this. No. It's typically a gray with, you know, a short mm-hmm. gray with the black eyes and mm-hmm. no one cites anything looking elephantine with spikes coming out of its eyes or ears or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. That's that's not how they they describe it. Which is why I say these things come from different places. Yeah. Obviously. Th- that uh and the fact that Charlie was a good way of putting it I guess Cheryl is Charlie kept saying things like I feel like I'm. I just want to jump out of my skin. That I'm not comfortable in my skin. He almost mm-hmm. sounded suicidal because at one point he said he just wanted to embrace the light and go to the light and leave. Right. And he he kept saying things like, I don't want to paraphrase this the wrong way, but but that he wished it would have just ended. Yeah, let this let me get be over with this exactly. Yeah, it was that bad. And that he was never quite comfortable after the abduction. Like, mm-hmm. he, he was always on edge. Because he, he didn't know if it's coming back for him. He always thought it's coming back for me. What exactly did they do to him that it was worse for him than it was for Calvin? Calvin kind of breezed through it. Like, yeah, yeah you know, because what they did to him sounded terrible. But what they did to Calvin was worse. They darn near killed him. Yeah. Well, see, Charlie was former military, too. So, I mean, I don't know what kind of connection, why he thought this was worse. It's just an incredible story. One of those stories that, again, folks, you got to pick up Chosen and read it and just sit back and go, you know, for for all of you who think that maybe someday you want to meet an alien or you think you could just uh, meet them and not bat an eye, think twice. You, you, you bat an eye. <laughs> you definitely would bat an eye. Let's talk about Rendlesham Forest, Cheryl, and and what kind of different experience or different scenario it is when you call out an entire military team because this is a team that, you know, is supposed to be grounded is supposed to be um you know you have m- multiple eyes on on supposed a supposed craft um and this is a, a story of disinformation but at the same time you have officers within uh, a unit that want to tell the truth tell us a little bit about Rendlesham forest and and we'll talk a little bit after that about some regression as well that has some surprising information uh, this was in 1980 in Suffolk, England, and it, there were um, two twin nuclear bases. Here we are with the missiles again. It was Ro- Royal Air Force Bentwaters and Royal Air Force Woodridge. So Sergeant James Penniston was uh, Chief Security Supervisor at Bentwaters, and A1C John Burroughs 
was law enforcement at Woodbridge. These are like the main characters that everybody has heard of. Mm-hmm. So it's about um, 10 minutes to 12 and everyone's on their post. And Staff Sergeant Steffens saw these red and blue lights over Rendlesham Forest, which was right next, which was in between the two bases. And he goes, I, I don't know what's happening over there. You know, was there, was there a plane having trouble or something? What, what are these lights? That's first of all, that's what they thought. So they called Sergeant Penniston to come over and investigate. So he arrived at the gate. And all of a sudden, he looked, and there was this big dome of light over the forest with all these lights. And first thing he saw was a plane crashed. He goes, you're, you're right. And they go, but we didn't hear anything. And he says, it looks like, just look at the light there. It looks like a plane crash. We, we need to go help somebody. So they got a hold of uh, Master Sergeant Chandler, and, and he says, all right. He goes, I want you guys to go down to the forest and, and check and see if somebody needs help. So that's that was their job. So Penniston, Burroughs, and Kasanek went down to, to the base and went down to the forest. And when they, they got in there, they had their walkie-talkies, and they, they started walking in there, and all of a sudden, walkie-talkies weren't working. And so Penniston says, well, you, you stay right here and we'll kind of do a relay thing, you know, and, you know, see what's going on. Well, so they did that and him and um, Burroughs kept walking. And now the, the walkies, he's talking in the walkie, but no one's answering him. So he doesn't know if the transmission's going through or not. And as they were walking, they, they just felt like a sense of slowness, like, like they were trudging through water. It was, it was the weirdest feeling. And he said it was like it, like time itself was an effort. So they, they kept walking around, and there's all these big um, burrows, which are like big hillsides, and then a big shallow space in between. And he he had to walk over two of them, and he, and he told the burrows, he said, you, you stay back there. I'm going to gonna go see. I, I, I see something up there. I think that's where the craft is. Stay back there. Stay back there. Mm-hmm. So when he got closer, he didn't see a plane. There was no crash. There was a black, a shiny black triangular craft there. And it was, that's what was flashing the red and white lights. And it didn't look like it was sitting on the ground, but somehow it was supported by three beams of light holding it up. So he turned around to look at Burroughs, but Burroughs was like standing motionless. This beam of light was like shining down on him. He was just standing motionless, like he couldn't move. So Peniston moved closer. And he goes, I, I don't know what this light is. He goes, was it a signal? Was it a warning? Was it a method of communication? And so he got closer and he went over and he's going to inspect it. And he's touching the craft and it's a very smooth surface. And he's moving all around the sides. And the one side, there were five symbols that looked like glyphs. They were three inches high, and they extended about two feet across. And all of a sudden, he put his hand on the biggest glyph. And he was unable to see. And then, and then a sequence of zeros and ones started running through his head. And he had no idea it was binary code at the time, but that's what it was. 
And the next thing he knew, he was standing next to Burroughs, 20 feet away from the craft. And the craft was gone. He doesn't remember walking back over there. So now he looks at his watch, and it's 4.15. Somehow 45 minutes were missing. Weird. And how could it be? He just walked over there. Yeah. So they get back to, they drive him back to the base. He's he's not talking about he saw a craft. And he gets back there and they're they're having him fill out this form. It's a AF fifteen sixty nine form. And he wrote down, you know, that there was a craft and all this stuff and they saw lights, they investigated, but he never mentioned anything about a UFO because you know what happens in the military when you talk about stuff like that. They it puts you away somewhere. So that's what he said. He goes, I didn't mention a UFO. Oh yes. But somehow, uh, the higher ups at the at the base that they already knew there was a UFO there, even if he didn't say that. Mm-hmm. But the next morning, he, he wrote down all the binary code in his little book, he had a little handheld notebook, and he wrote 13 pages of, of this binary code. And he wanted to go back to the place just to see what was there. And he told a friend about it, and he told him to get plaster of Paris and all this. And he went back, and he found three impressions in the ground, like where this thing was, legs were where it was, and he got impressions of it. He took it back home. He didn't tell anybody what he did because he wasn't supposed to be there. But anyway, Colonel Halt decided he's going to do an investigation out there because we we know they saw something. Mm -hmm. So he went out there, and they also saw the impressions in the ground. They were, there were three of them. They were one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter, and it was in a triangular shape. And they noticed that when they had their equipment that there was radiation there on the ground and like on lots of the edges of the, the trees on the top had all been burned. But the trees on the other side were fine, like this craft had taken off and hit the trees. Hmm. So then they decided they're going to take Burroughs back out there. And he says, why, why do you want me to go back out there? And he says, because they want to talk to you. They who? See, so they knew. And so they're walking out there and they could see the craft up in the sky in the distance. And Colonel Halt says, I think you can bring it closer. They want you to. Like, it's, what What did the military know about this? Weird. You know? Yeah. Bizarre. And so, finally, you know, they kept watching it for a while, and finally, finally it left. So then they took Peniston back to the base again. And they now they, they had some guys in dark suits there questioning him. And again, I say men in black. Yeah. And all he, and he doesn't, he doesn't really remember a whole lot what they were saying, but when he had his, um, this is the good part. When he had his hypnotic regression, he talked about these men and he says, they gave me a shot in my arm. I think it was sodium pentothal. And this is Linda, 
Mooton Hall was talking to him on her podcast about this. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, like, what, what did you, what did you tell these men? They kept asking me about the binary code. And I says, I don't know what you're talking about. So see, they already knew about binary code, even though he never mentioned it, which is scary. Yeah. They, they, they knew the craft was there, wanted to talk to, to, to Burroughs, and they, they knew there was binary code. He says, I kept telling, I don't, I don't know about the binary code. And they go, yes, you do tell us. And he said, no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then she says, well, do, do you remember the part about the binary code? And he goes, nope, nope, not allowed to talk about that. Not allowed to talk about that. And she says, what? He goes, no, 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 it's forbidden. I can't talk about that. Well, who, who said you can't talk about it? The, the men. What men? The, the men in the suits? They, they, I'm not allowed to talk about it. She says, well, what do you remember? And he says, a nursery rhyme. A nursery rhyme? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember a nursery rhyme. What nursery rhyme? Mary had a little lamb, the fleece were out of snow. Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. They had inserted a nursery rhyme into his brain so that he would not remember the binary code. Our military did this. Whoa. Yeah. That is the most chilling thing I've ever heard. There are so many questions here, Cheryl. I know. So what what happened out there? What did Colonel Holt know? What's interesting, too, is that Colonel Holt writes a report uh-huh. at the end of this, too, in which he fully acknowledges that these troops run into something that he believes is extraterrestrial. He doesn't hide it. But... He doesn't say, you know. Right, but somebody higher up on than Halt was suppressing yeah. something. Yeah. Because they were they were doing investigating and they weren't he goes, Why aren't you including me? And he, well, you don't need to be concerned with this. Right. Now you pointed out that there's there's uh, that there's there's these uh, regressions that are going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether we should talk about this or not. What, what spilled in the regression as to where these these visitors come from mm-hmm. and what they are? Do you want to talk about it or should we leave it in the book? No, no, but you know, like when somebody said that um, it was us from the future, but the, the way the, the military was acting, it didn't sound like it was us. Yeah. You know, they, they wouldn't be so concerned and secretive about this if they thought it was just us from the future coming back. Well, the details, and again, folks, I encourage you to get the book Chosen, uh, Cheryl's book that we're talking about here, and, and read it for yourself and judge whether this is a psyop planted into this person's head or if they're telling the truth. Because a lot of times when you're, when you're playing games in someone's head or you're planting things in someone's head and you're trying to dig it out through a regression or you're trying to dig it out through hypnosis, this is where sometimes people can question whether hypnosis is a proper way to get information because a lot of times... Mm-hmm. 
you're digging out, if you're trying to dig out through programming, you're actually digging out the programming. You're not digging out real information. Because as it's stated, well, these are not actual aliens. These are us. It's us. It's, it's us coming back from, you know, from the future. We're coming back in time to get, you know, what it is we need, whether it be chromosomes or whether it be, you know, information, whether it be whatever it is we need, which in a way kind of makes sense if we're, if we're communicating in binary code. Yeah, that's the weird part. Because if we're communicating a binary code, that's a human language. It's a human. It's a human computer language that was started with the first computers. Yeah. So universal language too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a universal language, and of course we communicate in binary language to ourselves because in the future we could still communicate to ourselves in the past in it, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what, no matter how we'd advanced in language. The only problem with this is that they also state that in the future they've got way too many problems that they're trying to solve by going back in the past. Yeah. Which doesn't make much sense no, either. No, that's I I don't buy that part of the story, no. You know, by by rating the past to try and solve problems from the future, that means we really screwed everything up. Mm -hmm. And what are they going to solve by going back into the past? I mean, have we really screwed things up so badly that we need to repopulate the earth or we need to, I mean, there's just, but, but there's not enough specifics, but the reason there's not enough specifics is because they've shut him down. They, he can't give you the answers. Um, and, and why, why did this land right in between two bases that have bol ballistic missiles? <laughs> Right. Again, with the missiles. Right. And as you pointed out, and as we pointed out in the beginning of this show, and the reason why I pointed it out in the beginning of the show with the, the news story, ever since the 50s and 60s, there have been alien ships that have been decommissioning nuclear warheads. And the reason we've assumed it is because we think they're here to save our planet. We've always assumed it's been someone from another planet. But is it really ourselves? Mm -hmm. Is it us trying to correct our own mistake? Did we blow ourselves up? Did mm -hmm. we finally have World War III? Did we make a mistake and did we, did we start a, a conflict that we couldn't end? Exactly. And are we coming back in time and, and trying to clean it up? And are we doing it forcefully? Because we, we would, there's no way we'd listen to ourselves. You know, if a, if a human time traveler came back and said, because, I mean, Cheryl, let's face it. It seems like once a week we're also hearing stories now of, of time travelers, and I'm, I'm using air quotes with my fingers, uh, time travelers that come back from certain years, and we always kind of roll our eyes and go, oh, yeah, another time traveler yeah. on TikTok telling us that, you know, we in 200 years, 300 years from now, we, we all blew ourselves up. I mean, how many times have you rolled your, your eyes at a story like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah we go, no, we're, we're just fine. You're, you're <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, oh, yeah, we blew the lid off the uh, ozone layer. Or, oh, yeah, we blew ourselves up. Or, you know, right. you know, nobody believes in global warming or nobody believes in this. Nobody believes in that. Right. But then all of a sudden, you know, nobody believes in, in, uh, in time travelers either. 
So what if, and let's just throw out the big what if here, what if time travelers just got pissed off and said, well, if you don't believe in me, maybe I'll just do it myself mm-hmm. and decommission your, your nuclear warheads and start correcting things without your permission. Exactly. Maybe that's what we're dealing with. Because there's, there's just too much military bases involved here. Yeah. Nuclear plants, missiles. It's just too much. Now, the other big question is, what other things are these ships doing besides just decommissioning military weapons? What Exactly. What other things are they doing that are trying to turn the clock backwards on what we're doing to the world? That's the other thing we need to find out. And that's the mm-hmm. other thing that that would prove that theory, that these are not really aliens. They're actually humans. So it's an interesting, interesting uh, thing there. Did you want to talk about Mario Woods real quick? Or Oh sure. That that's kind of a strange one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about Mario Woods real quick. Tell us a little bit about Mario Woods. You know, because we, we just we just know in, in uh twenty twenty three he testified to the Pentagon about stuff that he saw, you know. So this is kind of I'm sure everybody's heard of him by now. Mm-hmm. This happened in nineteen seventy seven at um Ellsworth Air Force Base. It, it's in Rapid City, South Dakota. And this is one of the bases that is part of a NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Camp, which is located inside the Cheyenne Mountains of Colorado. And this oversees the uh, Northern Tier Defense System for our nuclear defense. So he was part of the 44th Missile Security Squadron. And at this base, they had 15 Minuteman II intercontinental ballistic missiles. So one night, he's working, and he got a message that something was wrong at one of the nearby missile silos. And since it was November, they would call this one November 1, November 2. So he went with Sergeant Michael Johnson, and they drove the truck over to November 1. And usually when something like this happens, it can be because some birds came over there and and tripped something and they just got to go fix it or or maybe somebody's walking around, they got to go chase them out of the area. So they got over there and as they're driving there, they, they saw some lights up in the sky. And he says, well, it just looks just like the the lights that I saw at the, the facility the other night. When I saw the lights, I went over to the to the office and I start flashing the runway lights at it, and it flashed back at him. He goes, "That's kind of cool." And Michael Johnson goes, "Yeah, whatever." He told he told him whatever a lot, and so they start driving over to this area, and it, it was called the Situation Floor, which meant the outer and limb and inner alarm system was activated. So this was over at a place called Newell, wasn't too far away. So they get to the to the site and they had to drive over a cattle gate on the ground. And they looked and there was a massive craft ten feet high right over the missile site. 
And they go, what do we do? It's not an intruder. It's not a bird. So he says, I, I, it, I took off my mitten and I had my big mag wipe. He goes, and I, I, was, I was afraid to get out of the truck. So I just rolled the window down and I'm sitting on the windowsill. And he says, I, I start flashing at it. Like I flashed at the light the night before and it was flashing back again. And he goes, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so all of a sudden he saw these entities come out of the ship, two smaller ones. And there was a, a big, large one following him. And he was really menacing looking that he said that one scared him. And he said, I kind of slithered back down into my seat. And he said, I had my M15, but I didn't think about trying to shoot it. I didn't think it would do any good. So I just sat there and the, the beans started coming around the side of the truck. And in his head, he kept hearing, do not fear, do not fear. And the next thing he knows, that th this sound was just traveling through every cell of his body, he said. And the next thing he knows, he's, he's floating up into the air. Somehow they're, they're taking him out of his truck. He's floating up into the air, and he sees the license plate on his truck as he's going up into the craft. Now, he doesn't know where the heck Michael Johnson is. And so he, next thing he knows, he's back in the truck, and he doesn't recognize his surroundings. He's like by this wall that's full of snow. And he says, well, November 5 doesn't have a wall full of snow. Where the heck are we? So all of a sudden his radio's going off and they're going, what's your status? What's your status? And he said, well, I, I don't know. And they said, well, stay where you are. Keep keep communication open. We'll, we'll try to find the signal and we'll, we'll come over there and we'll come help you. So they get over there and, and he says, well, where am I? And they go, well, we, we can't discuss this right now, but we need to take you back to headquarters. So he found out that he had been missing five hours of time. It only took like 20 minutes to drive over to the site, five hours. And he was now seven miles north of November 5. And the big wall he saw was the backside of the Newell Lake Dam. And he realized that if Michael Johnson, who was driving the, the truck, would have stepped outside, he would have fell right down the other side of the dam. Jeez. Now, how did their truck get in there? And it was actually turned around so that it could drive back out, but there was no room to, to turn the truck around. Mm -hmm. How did they get there? And so, again, he went back to the base. These men in black were talking to him. They had him sign a report, and he remembers it said UFO on the top. And he said they made him sign an NDA again. Yeah. And it was just the craziest thing. And he, he's telling Linda Mooton Hall again. She also interviewed them, and he says, well, when I had my hypnotic regression, he says it was like I was seeing flashes of my life. And, and I believe that they can separate our mind and our soul from our body and analyze it. Here we go again. And later he talked to Sergeant Johnson and Sergeant Johnson said, I, I got to tell you something. He says, what? Well, I, I remember your mitten on a shiny floor. So they were all inside that craft. Oh my gosh.
<laughs> it's crazy. So that's why he wanted to testify to the Pentagon to tell Sean Kirkpatrick that this was real. Here's my question with that, though, Cheryl, and, and you know, we've we debated it here on this show many a times, uh, and that's the, the hearings that are going on now, the, yeah. Ar the Arrow hearings on Capitol Hill, and, and I'll ask you here in a minute, minute how you feel about them. I'm of a mind of this. I, I don't know that the government hearings that are happening right now, the Arrow hearings that are happening on Capitol Hill are even the remotely, even a remotely bit serious. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a little bit of glad handing just to, you know, it's kind of like they got caught with their pants down. They, they know that these videos are out there and in order to appease the public, okay, we'll, we'll take your opinion of what you think these are. We'll, we'll throw a few hearings out there. We're in an election year. We all need to get elected. We're not doing anything, you know, constructive over here on, on Capitol Hill, but at least we can say we addressed the UFO it's, issue. It's, it's all smoke and mirrors. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, for Mario Woods to go to Capitol Hill and say, I just want to be heard uh, by Sean Kirkpatrick, I don't feel like he really got heard. Sure, he stated his case. No, no. Because Sean Kirkpatrick still didn't believe that he saw anything. Yeah. <laughs> so was it really worth it for him to, to go up there and do his thing? He, he said he, he felt that he did the right thing, you know, because the public needs to know that these things do happen, even if Kirkpatrick doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean... Sure, there were some cameras there. It probably it got recorded on the public record for posterity. It, it yeah. you know, it he did what he felt was right, and if it mm -hmm. clears his conscience, if it helps him feel better, if it's part of mm -hmm. his therapeutic recovery, I'm all for it. You know, and, and if it helps him personally, I'm all for it. I don't know what it does for us as a society. I I really don't. I'm of a mind that I don't believe the government really, I know one hand doesn't know what the other's doing. And I know that there are exactly. factions inside government that don't ever yeah. want any of this to legitimately get out. And that they're, they're glad handing the public right now with these hearings. But I also, I also know in my heart of hearts that these poor people that are getting that that are getting trudged out in front of the american people yeah. also have lives to live and they're going to be part of the circus for years to come they won't be able to assume normal lives exactly people are pointing at me look there's that guy there yeah yeah and isn't it just much better to fade away go into the background and and just assume a normal life you've you know, you've gone through the experience. Maybe you've had your story told once before in, in other publications. and It's like, it's like he didn't offer to speak. They came to him, which is kind of interesting. Why did, why did they want him to speak? He didn't go to them. Because, and I, can, I think I can answer this, because much like it's an election year, we have to prove that we have something with these yeah. hearings. We have to come up with something. 
You yeah. know, we just can't show you a few videos because people can say, well, videos can be faked. But if you bring witnesses forward that say, I've had an experience, you've got a little more something, a little more credibility, something you could put on the table. Yeah, but still, we only have breadcrumbs. We don't have enough. Exactly. But breadcrumbs in politics are just enough. Oh, I know. <laughs> to, to get you on the ballot and get you back in office or get you back in office and get your job back for another term. All right. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's that's just enough. Um, this book is 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 quite remarkable. I tip my cap to you here, Cheryl. You've, Thank you. You've done a lot of research, a lot of good work here. And and. It's not only uh, educational, but very entertaining, folks. you got to check it out. Chosen is the name of the book. Uh, Sherilyn Carter has been our guest and is the author. We have a link in the description of this program. I want you to go out get this book. Cheryl, uh, I know you said you have things in the hopper, things that you're working on. Can you give us a hint as to what you're working on? Well, I don't have a title for this one yet, but I, I just find it um, very interesting that lots of um, ancient people really um, find different star systems fascinating, mm -hmm. such as the Pleiades. Yep. That's one of them. And I, I remember when I went to see Ancient Aliens Live that Giorgio talked about there are three major star systems mm -hmm. that all different civilizations were really concerned about. And he goes, there's, there's all these star systems. Why these three? So that's what I'm finding, you know, different ancient places and yeah, and how they are related and how they are aligned to these different places and how some of their, just the, the structures of their, their civilization on the ground is the same pattern as Pleiades. Just really weird stuff. So I'm getting into that about why our ancients were so interested in these stars. Very interesting. Did someone from the stars visit us? Are they from the stars? Good question. I think it's more than just gods. So mm -hmm. there you go. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing from you when you got that assembled. Mm -hmm. I'm working on it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, we hope you'll come back and, and join us when you when you have that put together, and uh, we'll we'll talk yeah. again. Sounds good. All right. Thank you for being with us, Cheryl. Thank you. I want to thank Cheryl Lynn Carter for being on the program. Chosen is the name of the book. It is available right now. There's a link in the description of this program. Go get that book, folks. Some disturbing information as well as some enlightening information and interesting information in that book you need to read this book folks these five famous cases are fleshed out more so than they ever have been before check it out chosen get that book right now coming up on the weekend folks and i'm excited we're getting closer to spring we're getting more daylight out there and uh, it's just getting brighter out there, which is good, because uh, even though we've had a warm winter, which I'm glad for, I'm grateful for, I'm ready for even warmer temperatures than what we've had. And I think I'm just ready for baseball season. <laughs> I just um, I'm ready for uh, the twins, even though they won't be that good. But I'm, I'm ready for some baseball. I'm ready to sit outside. I'm ready for my chipmunk buddies to come back. And I'm, I'm just ready for porch time. That's what I'm ready for. And uh, I'm just anxious for warm weather. That's all. I know you guys are too. I, I don't know why I'm getting cabin fever this week, but I am. That's just all that goes. I want to ask you guys to do me some quick favors here this weekend as we uh, head into the weekend. 
Again, visit our sponsors. You know them, Factor Meals, Microdose Gummies. If you're not aware of how to get to them, you can go to darknessradioshow.com right at the bottom of that main page. We've got icons for them, uh, microdose.com, and use that code darkness to get your discount there. Factormeals.com slash darkness50. Get your discount on your meals there. Folks, these sponsors put their money where their mouth is in order to support our show and keep our show going. And I know that you hear that line a lot to keep our show going. Literally, it keeps our show going. If you like the content you hear here on Darkness Radio, if you if you love if you love us, if you love your your buddies here at Darkness Radio and want to keep hearing the show and keep it uh, keep it running, uh, support our sponsors and support uh, the show. That's the way you do it. One is to is to keep downloading the show on a, a timely basis and listening to it on a timely basis. Two is to support our sponsors. And if you have an idea for a sponsor to send it along, and if you know of somebody who wants to sponsor the program to send it along to us as well. So the long and short of it, support our sponsors. They have amazing products. They're bringing you amazing products. We've tried these products. We love these products. We believe in these products. And there's a reason we're bringing them to you. Please try them. We encourage you to try them and support the show in the process, please. All right, that's enough for that. That's enough on my soapbox. Enjoy this weekend. Have a great time this weekend. Remember to enjoy life. And while you're doing so, be a light in someone's darkness. Get out there and help somebody this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend, by the way. I'll be up at KNSI, KNSIRadio.com from 7 to 9 on Saturday. Just tune in and listen to me babble about something other than paranormal. If you would, I'd appreciate it. But otherwise, help out a neighbor this weekend if they, if they need some help. Uh, help them shovel some snow or do some yard work or maybe clean up the house a little bit. Help somebody out that way. It's supposed to be in the 40s this weekend in Minneapolis. It's supposed to be really nice this weekend, mid-40s. I know that doesn't sound nice if you're in the south, but it's supposed to be nice. Also, I want to remind you of darknessradioshow.com slash events. That's where you can catch up with your buddies as we head out throughout the nation and come to an area near you. If you have a paranormal event near you that you want to see us at, contact the promoter of that event. Tell them, I want to see Tim, I want to see Mally, I want to see Bruiser, I want to see the Darkness Radio crew at that event. In the meantime, Potographs for Pooches, right here, Palmer House, Minnesota, May 18th. You can get your tickets by going to darknessradioshow.com slash events. Click on the banner. Get your tickets very few remain tim miley richard estep myself may 18th right here at the palmer house in minnesota i'll be at michigan paracon as well click on that link get your tickets for michigan paracon we'll see you there have a great weekend everybody we've got a great week of shows lined up for next week we'll see you then for true crime tuesday and the best in paranormal podcasting you've been listening to darkness radio (laughs) 